I want to start off today talking about a movie. I am not a movie buff by any stretch of the imagination. But the, anybody ever seen the movie The Matrix? You guys, you guys know The Matrix. You know what's funny? As I was watching The Matrix, I was like, this seems like a Christian theme to me. I'm like, because you got the one guy who's Keanu Reeves, who's sort of like the savior, and the other guy, Lawrence Fishburne, is like John the Baptist. It just has a very Christian-type theme to me. But the one thing that stood out to me about The Matrix was, it was interesting. When the main character, Keanu Reeves, started to question reality, that's when all the forces started to come after him. Because he was comfortable. As long as you were comfortable in your life and you didn't question anything, everything was fine. And then when you start questioning, that's when there was problems. When there's like a disruption or a disturbance in his life. I love hearing people's testimonies. How did you come to know Christ? Tell me about, just like, give me, give me an idea of like your faith and your walk. And when you hear people's testimonies, oftentimes it's around the theme of a disturbance in their life, a disturbance to their normal way of life. The term, the definition of disturbance literally is the interruption of a settled and peaceful condition. And for many of us, before we came to know Christ, we may have been in a very settled and peaceful condition. You see, we as human beings, we love comfort. I'm in my box. I, just, I set up my whole life to be comfortable. Nothing changes. Nobody make any sudden moves, because this is how I live. And I strive for comfort every single day. But then, something disturbs that, that makes me see reality different. Christ disrupts and disturbs our normal way of life. You know, it was C.S. Lewis that says in his book, Surprised by Joy, he talks about himself coming to know Christ, and he says, I gave in and admitted that God was God, perhaps that night the most ejected and reluctant convert in all of England. For many of us, that was how we came to know Christ. We fought and we fought and we fought until we got to a point where we're like, I can't fight anymore. I'm tired of running. And that was the story of C.S. Lewis, one of the most famous atheists who came to know Christ as his Lord and Savior. The Bible is full of stories about Jesus speaking the truth to people and disturbing their view of reality. That's what Christ did. And that's what Christ came to do. And what we're going to look at today in the scripture that we're going to go through is this. The Apostle Paul is disturbing the lives of people because he's living and he's sharing Jesus. And that disturbs people's life. What my hope and prayer is today when we're done is that you see how the gospel is meant to disturb us and it's meant to disturb those around us. As Brian said, this is about disturbance. I am not disturbing, but I'm talking about disturb. Although some of you may disagree with that, right? So we're going to look at Acts 19, 21 through 41. So Acts 19, 21 through 41. And uh, while we prepare, man, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray and we just ask that you would settle our hearts and our minds to hear from you today, God. Help us to dig into your word, Lord. We know that your word is life. Your word applies to our life. 
and your word is how we should see life, Father. And we just pray for that this morning and, and pray, Father, not only just to, to hear your word and to, to understand it, but to live it in our lives, Lord, because that's the way to true life, Father. And we thank you and we praise you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All righty. Acts 19, verses 21 through 41. And I want to start off with this. I want to start off with 21 and 22, and it says this. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. And I'm stopping right here because one of the things that hopefully you guys have seen this as we've been through the book of Acts one of the things that always talks about with the Apostle Paul, the Spirit is always leading him. Everything he does is guided by the Spirit. He lives every day and he makes his decisions saying, Lord, what would you have me do? Lord, I feel like you're calling me to go here. What do you want me to say here? He's resolved in the Spirit. And what he says is, okay, I'm going to go through Macedonia. I'm going to go through Achaia. Then I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. And then I'm going to go to Rome. And I make this decision based upon what the Spirit is calling me to do. So like Jesus, he lives every day by the Spirit. So my question for you is, what would that look like in our lives if we lived every day by the Spirit? By waking up and saying, God, what do you want me to do today? And watching where God leads and directs our life, even in the midst of trials in our life. Paul was led by the Spirit in everything he did. And I wanted to just take a moment this morning just to admire how he does that and how he lives that way, because that's how we're called to live. That's really the story of mankind. mankind. The story of mankind is we try to figure out everything on our own. And when Paul is like, he gets it, and he's like, no. I'm allowing the Spirit to guide and direct me every day in everything that I do. But the interesting thing is, while Paul is in Ephesus right now, he's in the city of Ephesus, he writes his letter to the Corinthian church, and listen to what he says. He says, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Paul is giving us an idea of what is about to happen and what is happening in Ephesus as he's going and he's preaching the gospel. Understand this. The Spirit, the Spirit doesn't always lead us to comfort and to safety. The Spirit can take us anywhere. And oftentimes, the Spirit will lead us into a place where there's a disturbance. Let's look at verses 23 and 27. It says, About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who had made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. There was no little disturbance concerning the way. What is the way? The way is Christ. Christ is the way. 
And what he's saying is, guys, royal order of silversmiths, we got a problem. This guy is messing with our money. He's messing with our money, and he's messing with our goddess. Now, who is Artemis? <coughs> the Greek name is Diana. Artemis is a fertility goddess. And they refer to her as like an image from the sky. So it could possibly be like a meteorite, something that fell down, that they're worshiping Artemis. And Nick, do you have the, uh, can you throw the, the slide up there? This is the Temple of Artemis, which is one of the seven wonders of the world. So this statue, this Artemis, was here. So people would come here year-round, in particular in May when there was a ritual, and they would come. So the silversmiths would make these little trinkets of the shrines. So it was a very lucrative business. They made a lot of money selling these shrines of this temple and of Artemis. And what happens is they're saying is, we got a problem because this guy Paul is coming in and telling people that gods made with hand are not gods. He's messing with our money. And he's messing with our goddess. She's going to be deposed from her magnificence. That's a problem. He's saying, that's a problem. You know, the interesting thing is the Apostle Paul, he's not anti-Artemis, but he's pro-Jesus. And as he's sharing Jesus, and as he's living the gospel, and he's living like Christ, people are coming to know Jesus, and their desire for Artemis is going away. And they're, they're saying, is, that's a problem for us, because <laughs> that's affecting our pocketbooks. And they get angry, and they respond to that. You know, it would be like us going down to an Eagles game and just standing out there and talking about how the health benefits of just eating vegetables and drinking vegetable juice. You can imagine like the hot dog and the beer and the soda vendors would not be very happy with us as we're telling, turning people away from that. And that's what's happening here, is he's preaching Christ and people are coming to know Christ and they're turning away from these false idols. And that's a disturbance in their life. You know, I look at my own life, and my life is full of disturbances. You know, I, I shared this story with you guys before. So when I was going to church, my old church, this is like at least, gosh, like 11 years ago, I would go to church every other weekend, and that was really good. Every week was for the people who were like way too into it. I wasn't like an every week person. I would go every other week, and I thought I was doing a really good job. And um, every time I would go there, they would have an opportunity where they would open the doors of the church where you can come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. And remember, I would always think to myself, like, I'm not ready to do that right now because I got my life I'm still trying to live, right? But when I'm like 80 and 90 years old and I'm on my deathbed, that's when I'll do it. And if I happen to get in a car accident, like right before I die, I'll accept Christ as my Savior. This is literally how I thought, right? And then I'll never forget, it was, in, it was 96 that I got a phone call that a friend of mine had been murdered. And my world was rocked because I realized that I was not as in control of my life as I thought I was. That was a disturbance in my life. And the very next week, I went and I gave my life to Christ because I realized I'm not in control. And I've been hearing this message again and again and again. I just never received the gospel and never received the good news of Christ. That was a disturbance in my life. Many of you know Aaron Harvey, our former pastor here, right? He disturbed the heck out of my life. 
Why? Because I remember I used to come to Riverside. We were in the theater, and I would sit way at the top. I would grab my donut, I would get my coffee, and I would go way to the top. And before the service was over, I was headed out there because I had to be at the gym. So my life was comfortable. I was happy, right? I had, def- I had all my boundaries. I was really comfortable. And then one morning, Aaron came to me and said, we need help with the setup team. And you know, when somebody comes to you, you're like, ah. You know, if it's a slide, you could be like, I'm not doing that. But I was like, uh, okay. He disturbed my life. Disturbance in our life. You see, what's happening is the Apostle Paul, he's preaching Jesus, and he's living like Christ, and it's disturbing the heck out of people. It's disturbing their normal way of doing things. Understand this. Disturbances are not the flesh. It's the spirit. It's the spirit that disturbs. It's Christ moving in this world that's disturbing people's lives. I subscribe to this app. It's called VOM, it's Voice of the Martyrs. I don't know if you guys ever heard of that. I'm really fascinated by hearing about Christians in other countries who, like under the cover of darkness, and will meet in these little small house churches because if they get found out, they're, they're, like, they'll die. And you look at all these countries in the Middle East, and you look at like North Korea. The amazing thing to me is you have a faith like Christianity that's premised on what? Love, and yet these governments are fighting the heck to stop this thing from moving because it's not flesh. They don't understand that the battle is not against the flesh. They're trying to stop the flesh, but it's the spirit that's moving. It's the spirit that causes the disturbance, and the Apostle Paul gets it. Everything he does is by the spirit. And he preaches Christ, and he lives Christ, because the Spirit testifies to Christ. And when he does that, people's lives are disturbed. People's lives are disturbed. What does it look like in your life? What does a disturbance look like in your life? What does it look like in your life for you to preach Christ to your neighbors, to your job? What does it look like for you to live like Christ? and to be changed into the image of Christ. What is a disturbance like you to join a ministry or a small group at Riverside? Or to get discipled by somebody? Or get into a discipling relationship? Quite frankly, we got 14 kids for the mission trip. Why? Not because we put a slide up, because I disturbed the heck out of these kids. you got to go up to people and talk to them. you got to disturb their normal way because we as humans, we always want comfort. Don't disturb my life. I'm happy in my bubble. And that's not what the gospel is about. The gospel is about disturbance. The spirit leads. And the gospel is about disturbing our lives. Let's look at what happens when people's lives get disturbed. Verses 28 through 34. When they had heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. (coughs) But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. 
Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. You see, the people's response to this, this disturbance in their life is to say, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They are clinging to their idol. There's a disturbance, and they are clinging to their idol. The people are angered, and they're now coming together. And people, some people are saying this, and some people are saying that. And I love the part when it's like people are like, dude, I don't even know why we're here right now. But there's a whole bunch of people in the South, and we're getting angry, and there's a riot going on right now, right? And they go, and they grab two of Paul's companions, and they drag them in there. And Paul wants to go in after them, but they're like, no, you don't want to go in there right now. And the Asiarchs, who are the aristocratic rulers, are in there too. And they're like, don't go in. Paul's got friends in high places. Don't go in. And they drag him in there. And then a man named Alexander, who's Jewish, comes in there. And he wants to say something. And he motions with his hand. And he's like, people. And they found out he's, a, he's Jewish. He wants to basically tell them, hey, just so you know, we're not with them. And they shout him down when they found out he's Jewish. They're angry. Don't mess with our money. Don't mess with our idols. They're angry at Paul and what he's doing. People get upset when their world has been disturbed. You know, I look at my life, and when my life was disturbed by my friend being killed, I responded by going and giving my life to Christ that very next week in church. I've had a lot of disturbances. I've been laid off from jobs. That was a disturbance in my life. Man, I had a job. It was the best job ever, man. I was getting paid. I was going to Puerto Rico. I was laying on the beach. I was doing training sessions till noon. And then I would just lay on the beach. I'm like, man, this is great. I remember laying there being like, I'm getting paid for this. Man, I had a nice house. I had a car. I had everything going. Disturbance. Disturbance. Can you imagine who I was angry at? I was like, man, God, what are you doing to me? Right? I'm doing everything you want me to do disturbance in my life. Aaron Harvey disturbed my life by asking me to be a part of the setup team. And now look at me. <laughs> Man, I was happy with my coffee and my donut just sitting in the back. And now I'm up here preaching. Right? Disturbance in our lives. The gospel is about disturbance. And now, as I become more and more like Christ and I go and I preach Christ, I'm disturbing the heck out of people's lives. Because they see me and they hear me, what I'm preaching and what I'm saying. And now when I'm at my old job and I'm part of a sales event and everyone's getting blistered and, and, and drunk and, and, and drinking at these sales events, I'm not drinking. I'm disturbing their life because they see me and I'm different. I'm not saying anything, but they're seeing something different. You ever notice that as a Christian, people will curse and be like, oh, sorry. You're disturbing the heck out of people's lives. You're disturbing them. It's a disturbance in their life. The Apostle Paul is disturbing other people's lives because his own life has been disturbed. You know, he goes on to write another letter to the Corinthian church while he was in Ephesus, and he says this. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. This is what's happening in Ephesus. They're despairing of life itself. Why? Because he's just living 
and preaching Jesus. He's living and preaching Jesus. But the beautiful thing about the Christian faith is we also have hope. We have hope. Let's read the last verses, 35 through 41. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there that does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. And there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we are really in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So that the mayor comes in and says, People, we know that Artemis is the truth. We don't have to dispute that. But these men are not blasphemous. They're not sacrilegious. So if you have an issue, take it to the assembly. Take it to the courts and let them handle it. You know why? Because if we keep rioting like this, there's going to be another disturbance called the Roman army coming in here. So we need to do this through proper means. Ultimately, there's nothing wrong with what these guys are doing. Isn't that beautiful? God uses the town clerk to calm the crowd and to allow Paul and his companions and to end the threat to them and other Christians. Ultimately, it doesn't matter what happens. God is always in control. And he uses the town clerk to do it. The gospel message will never, ever, ever be stopped. Not by any government, not by any man, not by any military means. It cannot be stopped because the battle is not against the flesh. It's the spirit. They can't stop the spirit. And God will not allow his word to be broken. God is in control of everything. The Apostle Paul's life, he's led by the spirit in everything. He's preaching and he's living the gospel. And when he does that, it disturbs people's life, and people respond to that disturbance. But ultimately, God is in control. He's in control of everything. And when I look at the pattern of Paul's life, I see somebody else's life. And I wanted to share these words with you right here. It says this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. When I look at the life of Jesus Christ, number one, Jesus lived his whole life led by the Spirit. Everything Jesus did, he did according to the Spirit, and he was led by the Spirit. And when I look at Jesus' life, his life is one disturbance after the other. You see, it was King Herod when Jesus was born. His life was disturbed, right? Because there was somebody that was threatening his kingdom. How did he respond? He wanted to have Jesus killed. I look at the life of the Pharisees. The Pharisees, their lives were disturbed, right? Because they were the ones in charge, and Jesus threatened the way that they were living and that they were, the way that they were teaching the Scripture. 
They were disturbed. What did they want? They wanted Jesus killed. I look at the merchants in the temple when Jesus came in and threw over the tables. Their lives were disturbed because the way that they were making money was disturbed. I look at the disciples. Their lives were disturbed, right? Because they were working jobs and we were fishermen and we're making our money. They now have new careers and they went to their death. I look at Pontius Pilate. He's a Roman ruler. His life was disturbed because he was ruling, and now he's got to deal with this guy who's claiming to be a king and from another world, and he's got the Pharisees on one side coming after him. He's got the Roman government on the other side. And what does he do? He puts Jesus to death. I look at the life of Paul. Paul's life was disturbed. And how did he respond? He tried to kill Christians until later his own life was taken from believing in Christ. Jesus Christ disturbs our world. He disturbs our world with kingdom values versus worldly values. That's why he says things like, the poor are rich, the last are first, the hungry are full, and if you want to be the great, you need to be a servant. That disturbs everything about our world and how we live. The gospel is God's disruption in our world, and the gospel led to Jesus Christ dying. That's how people responded to that disturbance in their world. Jesus Christ came because something isn't right. Our world and we need a disturbance. We need a savior. Jesus came to give his life for us so that you can receive the free gift of salvation and enjoy life everlasting and life to the fullest. The gospel is the ultimate disturbance in our lives. And it's the only disturbance that leads life. In the midst of Jesus coming and Jesus hanging on the cross when everything looked lost and it looked like evil was winning, God was still in charge because it was that very thing that God was using to defeat evil. God is always in control. You can't stop the gospel. God is in control for everything. So what does that mean for us? What it means is this. If I know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I am now filled with the Holy Spirit. It's Christ living inside of me. So I can live every day in the Spirit. What do you mean? I mean, I'm in my Word. I'm in the Word. I'm obedient to what Christ calls me to do in Scripture because I'm doing it. I'm allowing Him to live through me. I live every moment of my day through the Spirit. I'm talking to God all day long. God, what do you want me to say now? God, I'm getting ready to go into this meeting. Give me the words which wish to say. God, give me wisdom right now. God, I'm really angry right now. I need help with this anger. I'm just living through the Spirit all day long. The story of mankind is that we don't live by the Spirit. We try to do it on our own. And we only go to God when we need Him really quick. And when He's like, no, Jesus showed that we live every moment with the Spirit. So the first is being led by the Spirit. The second is understand the gospel leads to disturbance. The gospel disrupts culture. It disrupts identity. We want the gospel for the American dream. We strive. I know, I'm, at, I'm first in line. We strive for comfort. I just want my life to be comfortable and everything to be taken care of. That's not how the gospel works. The gospel is a disturbance. The disturbance is always about living and preaching Christ. 
living and preaching Christ. How has Jesus disturbed your life? How is Jesus disturbing your life right now? And how are you disturbing the lives of other people because of Christ? And people's responses to that can be good and it can be bad. And people can get angry. You see, that's why Jesus says, hey, if the world hated me, what do you think they're going to do to you when you follow me? Led by the Spirit, the gospel disrupts lives, and that's what we're called to live. And lastly, God is in control. Doesn't matter people's response, doesn't matter what they say. Nothing can stop God and His plan for salvation because it's the Spirit that's moving. Think about how you came to know Christ. And I bet for many of you, there was a disturbance in your life. Think about what it would take for you to give your life to Christ. It's probably going to take a disturbance in your life because that's the only way that gets our attention. We need a disturbance in our lives. Christ coming is the disturbance in our lives. And now we're called to go out and to live and to do the same thing. Pray with me.